In a previous episode about Beirut blast trial, we mentioned the Neshabur train disaster that occurred in Iran back in 2004 and killed about 300 people, injuring about 400 others. We refer to the case because while searching Iranian media's coverage of Beirut blast, we realized many outlets were making comparisons to that disaster. However, the Neshabur train disaster was different. Even though the train was carrying ammonium nitrate as fertilizer, it was loaded with cotton, sulfur, and fuel. There was initially a major fire, the derailment of the train, and eventually a massive explosion which killed people and firefighters on the spot. Welcome to another episode of Twice Told Tales podcast. With us today is Dr. Bruce Baird. Uh, We're going to talk about the uh, explosion in Beirut uh, that we talked about before, but from maybe a more of a more in-depth perspective. So welcome, Bruce. Could you give us a little background on your on your academic um, journey to get to this point? Okay, Uh, I have a a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from Texas A&M University. I worked in the uh, industry for five years. Uh, then I decided to change course and I went on to get a PhD in history. And I taught uh, as a professor for three years, well, actually five years, before I decided to change course again and then end up moving to California and become a high school history teacher, which I did for the last 15 years until I retired in uh, 2017. All right. Uh, well, so that's my basic background uh, to the coming to the point where I joined Twitter in the fall of 2017. And uh, before that, about 2013, I had had taken the red pill of 9-11. I had seen that everything I had taught as a history teacher professor for all these years of 9-11 was a lie. And I just started questioning everything. And um, what year did you you figure that out? It was was late. I was not. Wow. Wow, that must have been a really wild ride. It was. I was. uh, I was. you know, they talk people who were uh, psyoped. I was psyoped. I know. Well, even though we all were for some level. Oh, of time, it took me a long I, time, I, and I had to teach this stuff. That's oh, I really sh- impressive. I mean, yeah. that takes some real intellectual fortitude to break free of it after that. It did. After that long of yeah, that's indoctrination. Uh, yeah. As as being one of the ones who indoctrinated kids, I didn't realize it until I was. Uh, until I see it, and, and at, when I saw that, I started trying to introduce it into my classes, in my high school history classes, and I got a lot of pushback from the administration and other teachers. And but I kept what year to, was that that you were getting pushback? Like, well, from the very start. I mean, I was not shy about it. I was open. I would yeah, talk to wow. my fellow faculty and members about it. I would bring it up. They'd say, "Can you come in and talk?" We were having a little session on controversial how to teach controversial subjects, and they had the wow. whole high school. And uh, there, and I said, well, all right, you want to hear that? I'm going to say, how do you teach about 9-11? And, you know, I was a regular, I had to do a regular, uh, a regular presentation. Uh, You know, I had to, you know, I I, I knew I couldn't just slam things down students' heads. I had to, like, how do you get them into it? Like, I'd start out with the Spanish-American War and the sinking of the Maine and how that had been questioned, uh, increasingly questioned over time. And then suddenly changed, well, what about other things? What other things could be questioned if you, you know, questioned that? And uh, so and every year I do a little bit more, a little bit more until I was really starting to uh, butt heads big time. Uh, you know, I would I was putting posters up in my room that said, you know, question everything. And 
and uh, eventually I, I had to retire. I just I couldn't keep doing that anymore. It was, uh, but I decided in 2017 that I was going to uh, turn to like so activism, um, researching, trying to figure out a way to get other people to question 9/11. Mostly it was 9/11 when I first started. It was all, you know, that was the big event that I thought I've been psyched up. You know how. How do we try to get to the truth of this? I was an engineer, so I joined nine architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. I signed their petition, one of the 3,600, you know, engineer architects who signed that. Uh, I joined, I did that for a while, but I kept asking too many questions. I just kept going. Every group I would join, everything I would try to do with it, I would question to the point that I was persona non grata. They didn't want me to keep there asking questions. I discovered, uh, Nuclear, there was some people who were working on the nuclear explanations for 9-11 and I thought, oh, they really are. They got some good stuff, good material. So I started going down that too and um, and asking again more and more questions until beside I kind of, all right, well, I'm asking too many questions for even them. You know, I have so many things. And uh, but that's what I was doing. Um, and then what happened was um, on August 2020, um, you know, I, I think for the past several months, I had been tweeting about COVID. This is Twitter. I have like 45,000 followers on Twitter. I've been building up my Twitter database and asking, you know, and, and challenging anything that's official story. But especially with COVID started in March 2020, I started just, I mean, immediately started questioning that, that like you did. You told me yeah. you started questioning it. It just made no sense. And everything about it seemed rotten. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I see uh, my uh, Twitter feed. A picture of this blast and uh in beirut and i said oh god that's nuclear i just said you know i had part of the things i had done as my 9-11 research was that i had discovered the work of these nuclear uh these physicists who were looking at nuclear explanations but they led me to all kind of other people who had questioned uh like the truck bombings all these truck bombings in the middle east going back to the early 80s that um uh, and uh, they were telling me these people, these are uh, names like Dmitry Kalasov. You probably haven't heard of him, Dmitry Kalasov. Uh, there was an Australian investigator named Joe Viles who were questioning all of these truck bombings because they left craters. And he said, truck bombs won't leave craters. Truck bombs won't leave craters. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I don't know enough. But they said that's why they couldn't explain it with a truck bomb. It had to be some kind of mini nuke, an underground nuke that caused these explosions and, you know, wherever, all across the world, there were these explosions, mostly truck bombs. So I started questioning those and I, I didn't want to accept what these people were telling me about truck bombs. So I started doing my own research. I started uh, digging into any kind of um, uh, like declassified information about explosions and craters. And, and I started digging deep into that information. So I, and I knew all that. Uh, on August 2020, I knew this kind of information, and then there was revelations of this huge crater. All of a sudden, uh, they're telling me there there's a 43 meter deep crater in Beirut where that warehouse 12 was. It's like a 13 story deep building right there where that building had been, and they're saying 2750 ton, tons of uh, you know ammonium nitrate on laying in bags on the surface of this. Warehouse could, no way, it's impossible. So I, I uh, launched a thread where I started questioning it and saying that there's no way the official story is right. In fact, the only way that could explain that huge crater was an underground 
nuclear device, a buried nuclear device to blast that huge of a crater. And I also happen to know that um, people, the first thing they would question about that was, well, where is the where is the uh, flash? Where is the EMP? The, you know, the where is the um, radioactivity? And I had all that information for that I'd been researching about third generation nuclear devices that uh, American, the United States and other scientists around the world have been working on since the 1950s. And people would say, oh, it's impossible to nuclear device because this is that. I said, well, they don't know the status of modern nuclear devices, which is much more sophisticated than uh, people commonly know. So I started challenging the history in those directions back back in August 2020. You know, like from the very beginning, I was challenging it. And I've kept challenging it ever ever since. Presenting more and more information every year, I present more and more information uh, to question that story. Why would it need to be underground? I mean, isn't nuclear blast powerful enough that it would just disperse the the? You know, Chris, your uh, your picture isn't there anymore. But uh, the question is, how do I know it's underground? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's you have like um, over 300 years of of uh, writings on explosive cratering. You know, how do you make craters? Back in the 1600s, uh, back in the 1500s, they were trying to do these sieges of castles. And, you know, and a big part of it was how to bring the walls of the castle down. And uh, the way they would do it was they would dig tunnels under the uh, walls and they would plant crater gunpowder back in that day and blast a huge crater and that would bring the walls down and uh, they were calculating how deep you had to be, how much gunpowder you had to put in there. And they kept refining that knowledge through the 1700s, 1800s, uh, beginning of high explosives like TNT uh, into World War One. those huge craters they blasted on the Western Front of World War One. A lot of research I've done, all the historical, I mean, I'm an historian. I first and foremost consider myself a historian. And I find the best materials going back in time to figure out what people knew when way before modern times when information gets distorted quite a bit. Um, so I went through World War One, into the uh, World War Two, into the beginning of the nuclear age, and all these uh, tests, a lot of the testing that I did on nuclear weapons was um, declassified beginning in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, after there were revelations of um, people who were exposed to radiation and there were lawsuits against the government. Um, you know, they they used to put these soldiers right in harm's way, like right up next to these huge nuclear explosions. So they were suing the government and the government protected itself by releasing all this information about those nuclear tests. And a lot of it had to do with the craters that they, they blasted. Uh, plus, they were doing all kinds of experiments with high explosives like TNT. And I remember Chris on the previous video talked a lot about ANFO. They would use ANFO and TNT to simulate nuclear weapons and they would do the same test. How do you know how big an explosion was, well, a lot of ways, times they would do it by the crater that it would make. Uh, they would blast them uh, with explosives lying on the ground, you know, above the ground and and under the ground. There had been a lot of testing under the ground because uh, because a lot of the uh, government was interested in um, how to do construction with nuclear weapons. There was a whole thing called Project Plowshare back in the 50s and 60s, where they were trying to use nuclear weapons to build dams and and roads and uh, ports and all kinds of other things using nuclear weapons before they realized that uh, they had the problem with radioactivity, they couldn't get rid of it. But they did a lot of research on cratering. How do you crater? So there's tons and tons of information on this. And I knew about it. I know that if you have an above ground explosion, 
basically all it will do is compress the ground. The explosion goes, the path of least resistance goes up. And if it's above the ground, it just goes up in the air, it goes out, but it doesn't press the ground down. That's a path of most resistance. All it can do is compress the ground underneath it. So if you have an above ground explosion, you'll just make this sort of dip into the ground. If you want to blast a crater, most people think of the crater as blasting out, you have to put that explosion under the ground. That's a 300, 400 years of research or knowledge about cratering. You put them under the ground and you blast a big crater. So this 43 meter, this is like the, I thought of the third biggest crater that had been blasted by explosives. Uh, next, uh, there was a couple of them, one in the Soviet Union, one in the, in, uh, in Nevada. Uh, that back in the early 60s, they had blasted big craters, bigger craters, like 100 meter deep craters. This is a 43 meter deep crater. This is a huge crater. This is people don't have a sense of because it's underwater. And uh, but this is a monstrous crater and there's no way to do it above ground explosion. Even the biggest nuclear explosion would, you know, even those huge, the biggest blast ever could not have blasted that kind of crater unless it was underground. And I calculated with what I had found from this, um, from these, uh, declassified information that it would have taken about a 5,000 ton, equivalent 5,000 ton uh, nuclear bomb or nuclear device under the ground, about 50 meters, 150 feet under the ground to blast that big a crater. It was deeply under the ground. This is not a missile striking the ground, you know, and penetrating it. They could not have done that. This is a nuclear device planted like they and they do this. This is the way they test underground nukes. They drill holes in the ground. They slide the nuke down. They have it all electronically set up. You know, wireless controls, etc. And it's placed at a certain depth. And this is like around 150 deep down in under the port of Beirut. There is, uh, there is uh, like alluvial sands. Uh, it's built all those the, the silos. The warehouses are built like. I think uh, I can't remember 14 meters of, of sand and then below that it's limestone. It's limestone bedrock there. And these bombs are down in the limestone bedrock. Uh, they drill the hole so down into the bedrock. So that would be interesting because. You, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just was going to ask who do you think uh, has been experimenting uh, nukes there? Do you think it's, I mean, in the uh, in the world <laughs> in Beirut? Uh, no, I mean, in Beirut, if you think that was a nuke explosion uh, caused the whole thing, who do you think uh, was doing it? Because well, obviously, I, I mean, the Lebanese government has maybe perpetrated it, but it's not the Lebanese government who's doing it, right? I don't think they no have way. the capability. Yeah. To me, the, <laughs> it's not the drilling and the placement that the issue are these, um, I believe, are these very sophisticated nuclear devices. And this is, this is, I made this back in August, 2020 in my argument, and it's still the same today. I've added a lot more refinement, but these are very sophisticated, uh, I call them third generation nuclear devices. And the key thing is that they produce, um, they could be made to produce a minimum amount of residual radiation. Because in both Beirut, and also where I found these same kind of devices, and I'm not the only one, this, said people like Joe Viles, Dmitry Kalasov, and there's some other people who have made the same case that these same kind of nukes are, have been used back since the early 80s. Um, smaller nukes, this is the biggest of the ones that we know of, uh, as far as I know. But um, they, 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 they've never reported any kind of residual radiation. You know, where are the Geiger counters? People say, where are the measurements? 
Then oh, they may be covering up you know, evidence of radiation. They may be, uh, it's very easy to you control the site of the explosion. You can eliminate a lot of evidence that might be used to show that these are nuclear devices, but the devices themselves are much more sophisticated than what anybody <laughs> common, knows commonly. Uh, what if it's a very efficient fissile material, like use of fissile material, it could be very low levels of radiation because you don't really have that much debris to spread over such a large area. So I don't know. Uh, well, the, uh, but I think more importantly than mini nuke conversation, which has been, I think it's just the fact that, like, for example, 9-11, like, the problem with analyzing that is because, like, nobody, it's hard to know what exactly happened. And so everyone just discounts the fact that because you can't say exactly every detail of what the alternative, what actually may have happened, rather than the highly detailed fairy tale that's been given to us. Like somehow it's you can't uh, be right or you, you shouldn't be skeptical because you don't know every minor detail of what happened. And I think that's the problem because and it's also it's good to come up with speculative possibilities. But what's even more important with the Beirut blast and with 9-11 and with all these stories is that the actual story they give us doesn't make any sense. And that's like fundamentally, if you can if you can prove that it doesn't make any sense, then you can prove. You can provide the fertile ground for all this other speculation, but it doesn't have to be. But to say that it definitely was some speculative outcome without proof of it, it makes it easy for the people who are trying to promote the narrative to discount you as crazy conspiracy theory because obviously you don't have any proof. Uh, neither do they, obviously, but they doesn't matter. They came out with the story first so they can dominate the narrative. Um, but I think in the Beirut case, it's just fundamentally the explanation is a joke like right. uh, and they and they came out with these stories like in nature magazine and these quasi these scientific papers like that, to make it look like it's a scientific peer-reviewed paper but they're just opinion pieces trying to show how the story could happen like that within weeks of that or a week of that event they had these opinion pieces in the scientific journal so the engineers and whatever who are like wait i don't think ammonium nitrate acts like that they have these stories in there where it says oh if it's a large enough amount of ammonium nitrate and it heats up and it pulls into a big pool of molten ammonium nitrate then all of a sudden it can explode just like that so that, now there's no this has not been written about before so this is all this fanciful like stuff that came out to try and prove this narrative and it, it definitely wouldn't just explain a 43 meter deep hole in the ground at any level of ammonium nitrate uh yeah that that anyway but i, mean, I agree with I, you totally. I think you're right it probably is something like that some high explosive or just some missile i mean I, you could deliver something similar if it if there was a missile that had a uranium uh, or a yeah uranium tip on it and it could burrow deep into the sediment before it it let off its uh its payload might be able to get something like that but my main point is how can we how can scientists sit around and agree with this story that they gave because it, it just uh with just like old fertilizer or even ammonium nitrate that was meant for eventual use in some sort of blasting operation um that wasn't it wasn't ammonium nitrate fuel oil mixture it was just ammonium nitrate according to their story how that then becomes a high explosive after sitting 10 years in a high humidity environment uh, 
and then is exposed to some firecrackers. It doesn't make any sense. Like I, I don't understand. I, it sounds like a giant lie, and uh, I, I don't know. Um, well, yeah. I, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Um, well, I tell you, my experience. Uh, it actually began even before 9/11. When I was a little kid, I, um, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, I was in the time period. Uh, I was um, the time after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And there was these Jim. I know you saw the movie JFK, Oliver Stone's JFK. There was uh, all this uh, this district attorney down there named Jay Garrison, who was investigating the JFK assassination and coming up with all these conspiracy theories about the JFK. And I remember as a young kid reading the newspapers. I mean, I was immersed in this stuff, and uh, and uh, and I kept at it for a long time until you know you realize that the whole story is BS about Oliver. You know. Um, uh, about uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, the lone nut assassin and this whole thing about a magic bullet. I don't know if you know the magic bullet, the magic bullet that did all this damage to Kennedy hitting sure. his back and thing and all and John Connolly, who was a governor on the front seat. And it's like, how could, you know, it makes no sense. But all that kind of evidence over the years led to people, a majority of Americans, not believing that official story, the Warren report. They just didn't believe, but they didn't know, know what to do to replace it. Uh, they disagree. Was it the mob? Was really, it the yeah. was it the uh, Cubans? Was it the anti-Cubans? Was it the you know CIA? Was it the you know, whoever? And so nothing ever came of that. It just disappeared. I mean, it's still there, but it's like it's not going to go anywhere because they could all agree the official story is wrong, but they don't know what to replace it with. So you know they're just left in this split into the wind, man, and they they can't do anything with it. And with nine eleven. Uh, immediately, like I said, I took a long time to wake to that, but it was the, the thing I started with was the idea, yes, the official story is completely bogus. It makes no sense. It, you know, there's no way that planes hitting those buildings can cause those things to collapse at free fall speed. I mean, and so I joined AE 9-11, you know, uh, the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth very readily to say, well, let's, you know, let's convince people that the official story is wrong. It's wrong. You know, it can't possibly be. And I said, well, how do you, you know, how do I wake in my own students to it? There was all kind of material that the architects and engineers had developed, a lot of videos out there that would get people to question the official story. And so I kept doing that and kept doing that. And I realized at some point, uh, though, you know, I had more questions. I, yes, but, you know, like, but how, you know, how did, they said controlled demolition. And how did that happen? How did they work out? It was nanothermite. They had things like, how did you know? How did that? And I do my own research and question it until I said I became sort of persona non grata. Uh, you know, I was yeah. asking too many questions about things that didn't make any sense to me. Yes, the official story didn't make any sense, but their their explanations, the well, counter explanation, right. didn't make any sense either. So <laughs> what am I supposed to stop? Because they were happy with where they were sitting. They were saying, well, we have enough evidence to challenge it. Now we're waiting for some courts to come in there and say who the criminals are who did this. I said, yeah, but you have a bogus story that's going to be tried. How are you going to convict anybody on a bogus story? You haven't asked all questions. They didn't want to ask any more questions. They were happy with, oh, you know, what about World Trade Center 7? What about Building 7? You know, well, what about that? You know, you know, can we dig into that? Yeah, and how does that happen? None of it makes sense unless you're a, uh, unless you're a billionaire uh, owner of a right. friend of BB Netanyahu who owns a couple of buildings that are full of asbestos that are too expensive and, to renovate. And, and you want and to claim be happy to leave it like that. on an insurance policy, then it makes sense to, to all that. It makes a lot of sense, that story. 
because uh, then you can uh, claim it was an act of terrorism and uh, uh, get your money. Um, but, uh, but for me, that wasn't enough. I had I was yeah. asking other questions. Well, no, I, I think speculation is an important tool in all research. It's just when it comes to these psyops where people are so where people there's a lot of attack on any criticism. Like to create more space for criticism is difficult. It makes it more difficult. So I think it's good to talk about the possibilities of uh of like very um small i think i mean the mini nuke thing has been around for a while and i think there's possibilities of it also i think just high explosives uh and the use of high explosives in covert ways you know even the even thermite uh in the buildings that makes a lot of sense too so i i think you know those are all possibilities which we can say okay well yeah, it's not the only option if you want to come up with a fantasy, and I can have ones that are more real, re realistic and more um, in tune with <laughs> with what we saw than uh, you know planes hitting a building or fertilizer blowing up a, a half of a city. So I think, I mean, even things like the Bali blast and the the apartment blasts uh, that in Russia in Russia, those. There's a lot of evidence those were high explosives. I mean, there were even photos of bags of HE that were that were being stored before, and people wondered what they were. So, like, it, those were kind of sloppy operations. So, I think like that's possible that uh, this is just another one of those where they maybe they did just fill a fill a warehouse full of high explosive. It is interesting to know that if I mean. I don't know what the sediment is like on how that would react to an explosion like that. In water, it would be a lot different than it would be like uh, land uh, in terms of a truck bomb or something creating a crater. Um, but whether it would actually have to be underground or not, that's all very interesting. And it is good to talk about it. But I think like fundamentally, just the story just doesn't make any sense. And I think it would be yeah, it would be really interesting to get someone on who is a diehard supporter of that story to try and understand how they can defend an oxidizer without any fuel creating an explosion. I don't understand how that works chemically because uh, all that all ammonium nitrate is is a rapid oxidizing agent. When you when you physically jolt it, the oxygen atom is freed very quickly and it can burn whatever's nearby. That's what ammonium nitrate does, as I understand it. So, uh, I, well, there was a like, Texas City explosion in 1947, this huge blast, which is actually very close to where I used but to But that live. was a plant, right? Yeah. That was a fertilizer That was a plant. ship that was in the, they, they've had many ammonium nitrate explosions over the years. Um, you know, the I pure studied, ammonium nitrate without any, like, without it, just, just ammonium Well, that's nitrate. the question. They people try to explain how did it happen. And, and how many people's at, garden sheds have exploded full of fertilizer? Right. No, I don't know that. No, yeah, it's totally I mean, they're safe. exposed to heat all day long in the summertime and they don't explode. So. And I don't think any, any uh, body has actually changed the regulations for how ammonium nitrate is no, that's exactly after all what these I things. Yeah, I'm that's sure exactly their warehouse is still full of them yeah, now and nobody's even that, doing yeah. anything about it. Same with 9-11. Totally how many safe. building regulations were changed? None. None. So with, we know with, after, Yeah, if a building like World Trade Center 7 can collapse because of fire, wouldn't you think they would change more regulations? Who's pushing for that? Give me, show me any politician pushing for higher regulations so more buildings don't collapse due to 
wave well, basketball. So you realize that's part of the psyop too. That's yeah, part of, of course. PSYOP. They're going to tell you this, and you buy it, and you say, but but but, and no, shut up. You know, we're not going to. Yeah, talk. the shut up part is really important. And so. even, I mean, I think like even even if you take that, uh, if you believe that the nine eleven story was uh, was a true story, which as we said we discussed, uh, there are many loops, and it doesn't make sense. The the things that happen after that, the policies that come after that, the trial, the people who are can, I mean, apparently convicted, and the ones who have to pay for it are, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't have anything to well, do in, with in the that trial. Story. You're talking about the this, Iranians' uh, government being held accountable. That was like two two decades yeah. afterwards, and it was done by like, or maybe yeah. about 15 years afterwards or something. It was done, it just as a matter of. At that time, the government had seized all these assets from Iran and some clever Israeli Zionist affiliated lawyers were like uh, just figuring out how they could get that mo- their hands on that money. And so they came up with this yeah. lawsuit to say Iran is guilty I mean, and then they could just take the money and Iran can't defend yeah. itself. So it's really more to do with I mean, the official story. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, uh, even the official story at the beginning did not mention that it was any. It had anything to do with Iran, but it was no, Iran that had it to didn't pay that they stole tons of gold from the, the, the from the building yeah. before and they and the same, it too. And the same with the yeah, and the same with the Beirut uh, trial. I mean, the trial with Beirut. Even if you believe that the story, the official story, is correct and it, it's true. The trial doesn't make sense, right? I mean, we talked about that. Oh, yeah, the trial exactly. for the Beirut blast. I mean, it's oh, it doesn't there's a trial, yeah. yeah. There's a new, it's just <laughs> another kangaroo court trial, just like the same thing with the Iran trial. They took these uh Syrian Russian businessmen and they uh they accused them that they were the ones responsible for like this fertilizer thing because not because they owned the fertilizer oh, yeah, in London, or, or, that court or part London? of the fertilizer company, but because their yes. co- company had the same secretary who signed for another, the, the other company that had the fertilizer. So the same like register, which is just like someone who rubber stamps the registration of, of corporations, probably rubber stamped thousands of corporations because that company rubber stamped their corporation. They're somehow culpable for this other corporation. Anybody who has money and you can see them. Yeah. But that's because they were Russian and they had a lot of money that was Syrian frozen and due Russia. to the sanctions yeah. in New York banks. And these same scumbags could like go and steal. I'm sure it's the same lawyers. It sounds like the same scam to me. But did you yeah. hear the? Uh, I guess it was last week. Uh, some New York court ruled that Iran was in fact culpable for the 1983 Marine barracks bombing. They knew they were trying well, to get Iran for a long time with that, but they said, "Yes, go ahead. You know, whatever the Iran, Iran's opposition to that." They said, uh, "We threw that out, and now we can go after Iran for that money for the 1983 wow. barracks." There's, it's truth doesn't matter anymore, and that should be really clear to people who are trying to like understand how. Oh, how could these things not be true? It, I mean, if you if you even question COVID or understand, like, there's no truth anymore. It's all just about cash and power. Like they've totally all the all the all the cover has come off. Like, so anyone who thinks that the, that there's some sort of true people operating in these positions of power, if there are, they're they're just there as dupes. Because the whole system is now just run totally as a uh, openly corrupt, uh, and I don't know how long it can last. Because eventually, people are going to catch on to this in on mass instead of just a few. You would think. I, hope I don't so. know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's craziness. <laughs> I'm not holding yeah. my breath. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it is really depressing. But I, I, 
Yeah, I, it probably is going to end up in some kind of massive war. But I was because I, I, I just think people are really stupid. So I I don't know if I don't know how long. I mean, the people who are managing the quote unquote managing the Ukraine war from the U.S. side are totally okay with open nuclear war. I mean, they they promote the idea that nuclear war is safe, and so I I, uh, I think um, I think that, I they heard, don't care. I, when I they want to push Russia because Russia is a real a real a, Affront to them. They've always hated Russia, uh, the or the, the Chinese, or one of them. <laughs> or the Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. I when I heard your podcast, though, I I was you know taken that really I haven't had anybody heard anybody in alternative media really question the official Beirut blast story except I heard you guys doing it. I mean, not I not going as far as it. I do. I was do, waiting but for it. I heard the first it day I heard that thing. I was expecting someone to. Who, someone has to question it. I mean, we question 9-11. They don't. I mean, that, why can't we quit? This thing is obviously fake, uh, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. when I heard, uh, I don't know what to say, but, but I heard Marwa was, is her name Marwa? I forget. Yeah, Osman. When she was yeah. interviewed, yeah. Osman, is that the minute you started bringing it up, she cut you off right away. <laughs> did yeah, you she, notice she that? She did not want to hear about my, that. She edited out part of my... Part of my bit about I I get it because like it's really embarrassing for the Lebanese government if they did have to buy into that narrative like it's definitely not and she's uh you but know. nobody does nobody no government questions it no uh, media questions it and so yeah, you, you, do you feel like you are like stepping over a line to even question it at all I mean is that you're in a taboo territory at all do you get a sense of that I don't care it's not even in my country like 9/11 at least <laughs> is here in the U S so like I could get people would be really really upset if I don't go along with like trying to you know kill the scapegoat that they're all trying to kill uh i get it but you know those lebanon's not here i don't i mean i it just seems so so fake i it's just it's it's wild to me and it's you know i understood it because i did a lot of like uh research into ammonium nitrate because i grew when i was first came around to like these mass terrorist events, they were all ammonium nitrate related. And mm-hmm. it was like the bl- blast in uh, in East Africa, the, the embassy blast, it was the- uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, Oklahoma City, and it was one other one. What was the other one? Uh, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, there was like three of them in, in within a span of like five years. And uh, so, oh, and then the, the World Trade Center, the first World Trade Center bombing. And those were all, I mean, that one was an FBI setup. It's totally obvious. And the guy is still in prison, the Patsy. It's really a bummer uh, that nobody cares about him. Um, and it was, he was trying to be blamed on a Palestinian, just like they did with Sirhan Sirhan or whatever. They always pick the Palestinian Patsy so that it creates this, this notion of Palestinian terror in the American public um, so that they, can be rallied against the, the enemies of Israel, um, quote unquote enemies. I mean, the people who are just trying to protect their property from getting destroyed. Uh, and uh, so, so I saw all those things growing up, and then I realized, you know, definitely the World Trade Center thing I knew was a scam from the beginning because I read, I read, it was just like I, and there were a lot of people criticizing it openly back then on the internet because back then the internet was actually free if you knew how to use the internet. It was all just a bunch of just nerds and there was no there was no oversight from the establishment it was just a bunch of nerds on the internet and it was great because everyone could talk about it. so everyone shared openly how to make bombs so we all knew how to make ammonium nitrate fuel oil bombs with the 
anarchist handbook uh, anarchist cookbook yeah. and uh it was so great i mean it was and it was written by a chemist so it was like really detailed on why it works this way and how it was a great educational resource actually even if you didn't want to become a terrorist and uh so i you know i studied all that and i got it and i understood it because a part of me i just wanted to for safety's sake because i use fertilizer and the grass and i used, was around a lot of for my family with farmers so I, people were using fertilizer all the time i i didn't I, I was a little nervous that this stuff was so terrible. And then when you realize how stable it is, and then you realize how much you have to do to it to actually make it explode, it's not easy to get that stuff to explode. You can't just light it on fire. You yeah. can't even light it on fire. If it's soaked in fuel, it won't explode. It'll just burn. So, uh, I, so anyway, it was, um, no, yeah, I, I remember that. And I mean, when I heard them say that at an old warehouse, explode. and then if you look up the, who, where do these things explode normally, it's, manufacturing facilities or people who are carrying precursors for the fertilizer production because those are where it's really volatile and unstable but once it's created the, the ammonium nitrate it's it's stable so uh, i don't know i um if you look at that i did a twitter thread back in the first anniversary of the Beirut blast in 2021 and i the beginning of it is all about ammonium nitrate and how people try to justify how ammonium nitrate can be explosive without fuel added um, under what conditions and there's not some, just fuel it has to be uniform it, it can't yeah. just be like a puddle of fuel oil next in, in well, they talk about a contamination a lot they talk about contamination it's only the area where it's uniformly contaminated that would explode like the, the problem is, is there have been a lot of these quote unquote ammonium nitrate explosions. And so they try to find ways to explain how this could possibly have happened. Yeah. And none of them make sense. Or, uh, you know, it's like cherry picking which information you want to do. But they, there is, it doesn't, uh, a lot of before this, uh, the Beirut blast, you know, a lot of, of uh, scientists who study it would have said there's no way that could happen. I don't think you're going to find anybody talking about it now. They just will. Yeah. And I'm not gonna but the, uh, the scientific papers that came out just after this blast, one's in Nature, like I said, I can't remember the other one. And they are actually the material data safety sheet includes this this stuff about oh, if you can heat a bunch of it up at once, it'll explode. This never, I I can't find reference to it having before been part of the narrative. And I think they're trying to like part of the WF this new economic model that they're trying to push on us, which COVID was one of the main. Uh, mean initial volleys to get this thing into into the world um is the you know reduction of, of of the use of fertilizer so it's like the demonization of fertilizer we saw that in the netherlands there was this whole anti-fertilizer yeah. thing they were trying to get that as a as a pretext for for further attacks on on modern agriculture and uh luckily i think somehow that's politically been at least delayed with some new elections. I'm not sure. It's yeah. that election in the Netherlands is a little. I fishy. wouldn't put it past all those powers yeah. that shouldn't be. The Farmers Party is a bit like the Clean Air Act to me, like in the Netherlands. They say they're like this new party that's been elected that's supposed to fix that thing, but if you look at their actual what they're supporting, it seems like they just were created by the WEF. So I don't know. But anyway, I think that whole agenda now is to like demonize <laughs> ammonium nitrate so i think we're going to see going forward if there are more ammonium nitrate events they're going to try and push for like ammonium nitrate that's very difficult to to like it's going to be difficult to get because it's a dangerous substance so that's what i think but they, um i tell you one research i'm doing right now i'm uh a, a few years ago i did a, 
a study of the way 9-11 was presented. I went to the video camera. I, I think we're, you know, talking about how the official story was laid out from the first minutes of it. But I went through all of the footage that was available from all these different networks and show how they, how it was, must have been pre-scripted. There's no way they could have done the way it was presented to the American people, the world, without having a, a script that they're following as the way they presented it. But you're following these major networks to do that. With uh, Beirut Blast, it was done on Twitter. It's amazing. It, the Twitter was ahead of all the alternative media people, all the certainly the mainstream media people, all followed, lagged behind Twitter. Everything was being laid out. The videos were on Twitter. Uh, everything was presented. And so I recently started trying to go back into Twitter, like historian of Twitter, to figure out how they laid out this official story before, you know, it became official. You know, how did it work out there? And it's fascinating to look at it. Like, for example, um, one of the first things before they even uh, before they, you know, had any ideas about fireworks, which was one of the first ideas that was a fireworks factory that exploded. They were always talking about comparisons to Tianjin, the explosion in China in 2015, which was an ammonium nitrate explosion, except it was at nighttime. And so you, the video footage of it is you can't really see it because it's nighttime, it's a flash. But people are saying over and over again on Twitter that, oh, the explosion reminds me of Tianjin. That's sort of like, how could you compare it? This is a daytime explosion, this huge thing in Beirut, and that's a nighttime. You can't see it. There were other explosions. There was explosions they were in, all, Sana, they in all, Yemen. They were all there was Gaza homes in Syria, you know, that were yeah. daylight that looked a lot more like that explosion in Beirut than Tianjin, but yet there, the Tianjin was an ammonium nitrate. And they, before anybody said anything about ammonium nitrate, they're already comparing it to laid out out of, of these official or the leading, you know, Twitters on our, our telling me, oh, it's like Tianjin, it's like Tianjin. Well, how would you know that? Why would you even say that before, you know, ammonium nitrate become the official explanation for it? They're already laying that story out. And Tianjin has a huge crater, right? too. So the, the fact, so the whole point is like this, the material that they say was stored there was ammonium nitrate that was stored for about a decade right. in a humid port environment. And ammonium Filled nitrate is, very, is hydrophilic. So after a number of years, it just becomes like a wet brick. And yeah. that, that water molecule that's attached to it, it doesn't, like, you can't, you can't burn water. So even if you oxidize, <laughs> Those photographs, what? you know, this, they stacked the one ton, two one ton uh, bags stuffed, you know, with supposedly this fertilizer, which is so thrilled. Now, wet. thrilled's supposed to protect it from the moisture, and it's well, thrilled kind of coating, they say. But, yeah, uh, okay. but you know, either way, it's not going to explode the way it did. I mean, there's just no way you're going to get, you, you, you mentioned, without some kind of uh, uh, detonator, they need a detonator for sure. And just having fireworks or whatever that is, and that fire, really, that explosion, the, the, the big explosion happened 30 seconds after the previous explosion. And there right. wasn't much fire, like 30 minutes go. of That's fire, the and then a That's... 30 second delay after something. And now, no, there's no way it's going to explode, let alone explode the way it did, which was one huge mega blast. A mega blast. That thing with, that we saw on those videos could not possibly be explained by a bunch of fertilizer bags, however many there were, sitting on the floor for six years in this you know in this warehouse no i mean so it, the thing is it could impossible. be a mini nuke or it could be like you know a team of tw 20 guys who went in there and rigged a warehouse to explode you know i don't know if that if that would give us the crater we had but either way whatever it is they said is not true and i think that's the important thing and it's like for this stupid exactly. case they had this trial which they were they're like trying to 
steal these Russian guys' money. They, the I don't know why the Russian, I don't know. I mean, it seems like an easy defense. And obviously, the, these Syrian Russian um, defendants didn't have access to defend themselves because, he, like I said in the in the discussion, all you need is a high school chemistry teacher to uh, to to say that this isn't true. So I, so I, so I don't know. Really I mean, that, that part was what got me was the was the fact that it's not true. And I think everything else is fair game because they obviously aren't telling us the truth. So we should be able to come up with our own stories. But but until they try and just like give us an explanation the chemical reasoning for this happening not just some some qualitative verbiage and a nature publication but like some actual like uh atomic explanation to how oxidization uh itself well oxidization of water uh could uh could create a high explosive i would love to know that if there was any way of making explosions with just plain old ammonium nitrate, I guarantee you, like every redneck would have a YouTube video on that because it's already fun to blow stuff up. Well, with these what about with fuel? Is it possible? You have to mix it very precisely, like with the official story of Oklahoma City, which I don't buy either. It doesn't make any sense, but they there's a lot of evidence presented at the trials. Timothy McVeigh and um, and Terry Nichols, you know, that showed how do you make one of these things? And the, the cookbook, you know, the rest of the anarchist yeah. cookbook. Doctor, yeah, it's, it's a very trial. precise yeah. pre amount that you have to add. Otherwise, too much, too little, and it's, it's yep. not going to explode. And uh, that's even if, you know, if you want to make something that is like a bomb. And they've made a lot of light it. A lot you of bombs. You have to have a high explosive to create the high explosive. So you have right. to have dynamite or something really and there's powerful. There's a detonator of some sort, yeah. which I did, according to the official yeah. story. There was a detonator. And, but this uh, train car didn't have it, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, like a spark, uh, like fireworks. No, it's not going to happen like that. But uh, the thing I, I guess I should mention is that there are scores of these kind of incidents all over the world and uh, very suspicious incidents. And so the problem I would... I think you get into is if I start talking about this and that, it's endless. The rabbit yeah, hole is true. very, very I, deep. Oh, and you want to talk about COVID? Oh, you want to talk about 9-11? You want to talk about that too? And yeah, people say, well, right. what can I believe? I can't believe anything. Well, yeah, that's right. You can't believe anything. Well, how am yeah. I going to live that way? Um, I don't know. I guess you start believing that's a good point. something. I don't know <laughs> what you believe is in. <laughs> so, I mean, and, you know, I do it because I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I see the crater. She sent it. Uh, oh and my so that's, gosh. A, that's a pretty yeah. good sized crater. That was not that's just a insane. train explosion crater. I don't, um, those, are, those are the kind of craters I've seen on other train explosions, but that was not caused by my thinking. You know, underground, it's an underground explosion that caused even that little sized crater, not some trains colliding with each other, combining somehow or another to create an explosion. That, that was that blast, that big a blast, and yet, and that big a crater, yeah, there's something happened there. They had some kind of explosion already ready right. to go there. So. Yeah, I mean, but well, I haven't I mean, studied if you that watch, one. I don't know if you're looking at the Ukrainian war footage, because this this war or this, uh, it's a war on one side and a special military operation on the other. But the, the video coming out of it is, uh, there are, you know, some of these, um, like, uh, HIMAR missile strikes and, and the Russian missile strikes, they, they're creating pretty big craters. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, so no, it doesn't I'm, have to be underground. A penetrating missile crater, can crater. cause a crater. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But yeah. it's a very precise kind of crater, and uh, and it's different from the kind of crater from underground explosion. And uh, you know, all I can do is look at it. Uh, they have a lot of the 
the uh, declassified information, like especially right after World War, during World War II and after World War II, they yeah. were testing missiles uh, to see the kind of craters they produced and you know how much a big explosion was. So there's a ton of information on missile created craters, and uh, and then you can compare them to underground, above ground explosions, and uh, and really, if you give me a crater, you know, you tell me how big a diameter it is, how deep it is, you know, the general shape of it you can kind of tell what kind of explosion caused it, you know. Yeah. And the, the material, the media, the kind of dirt or earth or, you know, rock or whatever it's in makes a difference. And how moist, how much moisture is in it makes a sure. difference. But yeah. you can you can pretty much tell what kind of explosion caused it. There's centuries of information about explosions making craters to, to back that up. But... Um, yeah, I think it has to do with the, so how, how much explosive power you have and if that is you know if you have a warehouse that you just pack full of high explosive uh you could definitely do some big crater so i think in the beirut situation it could be and you know on the train situation it could have been a one of the cars just had a really huge uh explosive Fire. on it but or, yeah. yeah something but i don't, I don't think, think so. the spilling of fuel oil and ammonium yeah. nitrate in a big puddle would it create uh, that kind of an explosion like you would have to have a concentrated mass of the pre-mixed ammonium nitrate fuel oil in a mass that then you had inside of the mass in the center of it the detonation charge which would be you know dynamite or something and then so that you would have the uh, rapid explosion out there if you had just like a bunch of stuff laying on the ground that was like a pool of fertilizer and oil mixed together flat on the ground in various viscosity so it wasn't really it wasn't mixed properly and then you had some kind of fire ignited and i don't know maybe it just it would explode like explode. like this there would be a pressure wave of a thin layer of explosive so it wouldn't create a, a it goes up and it out. wouldn't create this dirt rising up because it'd be a thin layer of high explosive rather than a compacted mass, which would then explode and, and rip everything out. So I don't know. I think it's very important to also ask this question, who would benefit from that? And, you know, um, yeah, uh, I've done a lot. Of, I've done work well, on that. Comes after that. Uh, yeah. And this is inspired by Joe Viles, this Australian in investigator who died in 2005. But he he investigated uh, the Hariri assassination back in 2005. Oh, that was an and, interesting explosion. Yeah, yeah, which I've done a lot of work with that too. But uh, and the Bali blast in 2002, um, he did a lot of cutting edge work with that, where he laid out these ideas of these, of these mini nukes, these underground mini nukes that uh, that could have caused those, or he believes caused those. And in fact, taking it to Israel and these ideas of these clean mini nukes, these clean ones. Uh, so I was following his footsteps, but he he laid out the idea that Israel um, has this policy of nuclear extortion. Uh, terrorism slash extortion that they extort these countries or terrorize these countries using these devices with total plausible deniability that there was a nuke that they were involved in it at all. It's always, you know, nuclear terrorism, but you can't say that it's nuclear terrorism. You can't say nukes are involved. Yeah, that's right. Because you've got to give the, yeah, you don't want to. No, Israel, Israel wouldn't have done that. Ability to pull its tail between its leg and obey you. Rather and than everybody's in line. It's not you. nukes. It's not Israel. It's not nukes. Not Israel. But yet yeah. he says they extorted out of 
you could say both the Australian, because a lot of the people killed there in Bali were Australians. And he yeah. said there was a way to force Australia in line with the war on terror. It was oh. their They knew the oh, people no, in power know. They sense. know who is this doing this. They know what's happening. They make that decision based on that. That uh, okay, you want more of this? Follow in line. And it's the same way I've shown this also with the 1983 uh, explosion in the Marine barracks. So was that you know in October 1983? That I've made a case in a long Twitter thread that uh, that to me Israel, Menachem Begin, Prime Minister of Israel, had means, motive, and opportunity to do that, and the same kind of thing that that uh, Joe Biles said in Bali. Those were these mini nukes, like a ten-ton. We're talking about the smallest of yeah. kind of nukes, clean under that under you the. Think they had barracks. that technology back then? Though? Oh yeah. I mean, oh yeah, but they did this. I in my Twitter, if you read that the the one I put out in August 2020 that these were already developed in the 70s, that they had been working on it. And suitcase Israel- nukes. Is that what they were? Yeah. They're what? I read about those. They call them the suitcase nukes. Well, the right. suitcase nukes go back to the 40s, actually, the yeah, fear no, that yeah. these terrorists would bring in these suitcase nukes. But that was, a, they they were miniaturizing nuclear devices back in the 40s. You know, yeah. when they're making them bigger and bigger and they made the hydrogen bomb, but they were also making them smaller and smaller. And that's a history that's not really known very well. But uh, in 1960s, early 60s, they developed these, uh, you know, 10 ton, 20 ton, you know, TNT equivalent nukes that they fired with bazookas. There was a big test. Robert Kennedy, the attorney general, and, you know, went to go see one of these tests in Nevada where they showed videos of the firing of this bazooka, boom. There it is, this, you know, 10 ton, 20 ton equivalent nuke. It weighed 50 pounds, a very light thing. They put them in backpacks. Wow. They could land. They could, they were all designed for atomic demolition. Uh, these backpack nukes, they go in by water or land or, or, or air to land and blow up things, buildings, create huge craters, blasts. Uh, that was the days when they were still dirty, though. The idea of you put them underground, they would have not so much um, contamination that people could our soldiers could move into the area quite quickly. They defended the whole Eastern Europe. There was a line in uh, in Germany where they had these uh, these um, uh, what do you call um, shafts shafts that were dug ready for these dukes to go in place in case the Soviets ever invaded the Warsaw Pact invaded. So they had all these things back in the 70s during the Cold War. The United States supposedly got rid of all of them, but uh, and. Uh, their other country, I'm sure the Soviet Union had them, I'm sure China had them, France had them, but number one, Israel had them. I know huh. Israel had the neutron bomb, which was the, if you can make a neutron bomb, and every, there's a lot of evidence uh, that Israel developed a neutron bomb, even uh, the guy who did the, the Nord Stream, the, art, the uh, reporter. Who just oh, did, you mean uh, Seymour Hersh? Seymour yeah. Hersh. He wrote a book on the Samson option, Israel oh, developing the neutron bomb. They have, if they can develop a neutron bomb, which is a third generation, this, these are like basically their fission-fusion bombs. They're very sophisticated. They, they can be tailored to do whatever you want to do, including make them very clean. And if Israel developed the neutron bomb, which Seymour Horst says, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest they had, they developed these clean nukes. And everybody else had their inspections. Supposedly they got rid of them. The United States got rid of all of these. Israel hasn't let any inspectors into their <laughs> into yeah. the Mona ever, wow. you know, to see what they have. So who did theory. it? Well, this is only one country that is doing this kind of stuff that I have evidence that, and Joe Biles had evidence, and well, who's still doing this stuff? That's the well, one country you I can't question figure. too. So you can't question. You can't even talk yeah. about their nukes, exactly. and yeah. nobody in alternative well, media is going to question it either. So that's definitely an interesting theory. I mean, it's a 
anything's possible when the when the official narrative is so full of holes in these cases. So like it's a uh, you know it's you know it's, it could so but to have something that's as uh, you know uh, good a, of an explanation as that is. Is, is I'm valuable. still waiting for people to challenge it. You know, I mean, there's experts. Nobody, to challenge no, it. nobody wants gonna, to challenge the original uh, story that's fake. Yeah. So I don't know if you ever get yeah, that. They won't even go there. Maybe because I got in too early with this other story. They don't even want to go to the truth because it reveals all kind of stuff about it. I don't. Well, know. I mean, it's it's nice. I think it's good to have the the speculative options. Um, I think you know you were talking about the '80s and Israel, like starting to do this sort of Samson option terrorism. I think that's that's clearly true. And you know, they had their they had open conferences about like terrorism and 1979. Yeah. Exactly. His conference is like basically a way of of doing projection propaganda to say that look at these Muslim terrorists coming up and they at the same time they knew they were the ones doing the terrorism and then creating the the scapegoat so that they could Eventually, they probably had something like 9-11 planned out at that point anyway. Uh, so it's, you know, they so there's all that is very well documented. It's just nobody pays attention to it. So so terrorism has been sort of a key component of the whole birth of Israel from the Nakba onward. So, so it's, uh, you know, it's possible. I don't know if we'll ever know any of these things, the answer to them, but... Um, but, uh, you know, if you see what uh, Israel's doing currently in the West Bank uh, in graphic detail, uh, you can uh, imagine that they would not have any qualms about doing this on a larger scale. So I've heard that, uh, of that part of the people back in the Beirut blast, because I've looked at all these tweets, I mean, thousands of these tweets, you know, of, and uh, I come across these certain themes that are repeated over and over again. One of them is that Israel would not, you know, bomb this warehouse and because they don't kill what? people like they don't they wouldn't ah, do something like that that's you know? hilarious <laughs> it's like okay you believe they would do all these I other things i think you were dealing with trolls that. from tel aviv so i don't know but i i don't know I, I generally don't tend to focus on who but i did focus on who in several threads um or a couple of threads at least in 1983 and um more recently i did one on the department bombings in moscow in 1999 which is Mos you know russia's 9-11 and i made a case that uh, Israel is behind those um, same kind of case, you know, when well, they when needed the, to get it's just like the Bali bomb. I mean, those occurred very close in time to each other and they made sense because they were trying to get this whole war on terror started. And they need Russia's war on terror. It war was on the same, terror. like they were both blamed on Muslim like terrorism. Chechens, and it was obvious Chechens. that, yeah, it was Putin. But, it was trying to get Putin into the into this uh, into this game. and. He he sort of tacitly, I guess, tied onto it, but he didn't really join full heart, full force. Well, he, yeah, well, he, he sucked up to the Israelis, to Benjamin yeah. Netanyahu, actually, in particular, who wasn't prime minister at the time. Interesting how those characters keep repeating, because you gotta you gotta keep your pool of psychopaths small, or you'll your game will get infiltrated by people who have souls. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. So the moral of the story is to be skeptical about any official story, right? Question everything. So. I mean, that's... Pick and choose which ones you guess you want. If you want to survive and not go crazy, you pick and choose which ones you want to question. But I don't trust anything. That yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I think that's a very good policy, especially anything coming out of an official source. It's just or I experts. Mean, Anybody who claims to be an expert or fact checker. 
Yeah. You know, give me a break. You know. You have to look at them as a power. Yeah. I power see that dynamic. with Iran. I see that with Iran. Like the Iran experts are uh, just outrageous liars and anything that you hear about Iran experts. I mean, this is there are so many memes about them. Iran experts are usually the ones who are so detached from the Iranian society. Who haven't seen Iran at least the past 40 years or something. Maybe they don't know anything about what's happening inside Iran and they just uh, have to sell uh, their own version of, uh, you know, the story so that they can be paid by CIA and other foreign governments and everything. So that's my experience with Iran experts. The Islamophobia that Israel gave birth to in that 1979 conference is what we're still dealing with. It's like this idea that Islam is the enemy, Islam is the terrorist, and they, they did that so that the West would uh, would try and unite against I guess they figured they couldn't do Palestinians in general because they're Christian Palestinians and Jewish Palestinians. A lot of people don't realize that there are lots of Jewish Palestinians. Um, so uh, anyway, they uh, they couldn't unite against because there would be, but they could if they did it with Muslims. They knew Muslims was a define. There weren't a lot of Muslims in America, so they couldn't. They could easily try and create this boogeyman, and they knew that like the. European colonialism has had degraded Islam, so they could create this boogeyman. And now, you know, it's it's continues with the Iran with women's hats and you know the mullahs. Uh, it's like the same. It's just it's endless how how the Western woke elite can be so so racist and they don't really know it. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So should we? All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Twice Told Tales. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to another interesting conversation next week. Hopefully we can have uh, Bruce on in the future for some sure. uh, Anytime. new conversation. Yeah, Hopefully thank it's you. not about a thank you. terrorist event, but thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. And don't Bye. forget to subscribe to our channel and share this video. I'll do it right now. <laughs> uh, yeah.